either we are there or not, ITSB Magazine still gets the best stories. There are plenty of conferences and all sorts of events that spark our curiosity and allow us to start conversations with some of the world's brightest minds. In person or virtually, we sit down with them at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Together, we discover what the synergy of these three elements means for the future of humanity. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance, virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at www.pentera.io. Marco. Sean. It's the, the trifecta. The third, third, time's a, third time's a charm? I don't know. What? <laughs> 1 1.0, 2.0, 3.0? Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll get it right on the 3.0. Yeah, what is, what is right? And what is three? Is it an increment on top or is it a replacement of? Or? I don't know. More is always better, is it? I don't know. Yeah, it's just add to it. <laughs> Add more, build on top of it. I don't, I don't and uh, hopefully our guest can enlighten us uh, a bit. I'm sure he can. Uh, I, I think it's more than than just adding to the current. I think there's a whole new wave of stuff coming that uh, that's going to yeah, make I'd, our lives uh, more fun and exciting in in many ways. <laughs> I, I I like to be silly, but this is not a this is not a quantity. This is a quality. It's a different approach that involved uh, a lot of things that were not in, in two. So, yeah, you have to define it, give it another number, everybody understand. But the people that will understand are going to be the people that are in this industry, in the cybersecurity space. But I think it's also important, even if we do talk about a chat on the road to Black Hat and everything else that happened in Las Vegas uh, in not too long from now, we, we want people to understand, even if they are in the business world. So a little introduction about what this 3.0 that we're blobbing about right now <laughs> it is. So I think it's time to stop blobbing, Sean, and introduce our guest that he really knows what we're talking about here. Absolutely. And uh, our, our guest is a speaker at Black Hat uh, 2022, the 20th anniversary of Black Hat. And there's a chats on the road. And uh, Nathan is joining us today. Nathan, thanks for being part of the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, our pleasure. And uh, you, you have a session. It's called From a Hackathon to Hacked Web3 Security Correct. Journey. And uh, 
Web3 has been very prominent in many areas, uh, in the news, in technology, in society, in art, all, all over the place, right? Uh, currency, <laughs> certainly. Uh, big big uh, profiles on social media are all over this as well. And there's a big security element to it. Uh, obviously, we're very focused on that. But uh, we're going to get into all of that, and we're going to talk about your session and what you're sharing with folks at Black Hat. Before we do that, let's hear about who Nathan is. Uh, maybe a quick word about your journey to your current role, what you're up to, and and perhaps why this topic. Sure. So uh, a little bit about me. My name is Nathan Hamill. I'm Senior Director of Research at Kidelsky Security. So I lead the Fundamental and Applied Research team. And kind of our goal is to look at new and emerging technologies and create, you know, new products and new services to kind of align with um, the future where things are headed. Um, about four and a half years ago, when I joined the company, um, uh, a large part of the team were cryptographers, which was a little bit new for me. I came from more of a traditional security background um, and, you know, they were working on uh, very cool technologies around like threshold crypto cryptography and zero knowledge proofs and things like that. So I had a, a very uh, quick introduction to those things. I had attacked, you know, crypto implementations in my past, um, but nothing even close to what the current team I was uh, doing. So um, that's where I started getting more involved in cryptography. The company started standing up uh, a blockchain-focused practice. And what we were doing was using our cryptography knowledge to kind of augment our, our skills and talent on that side of the house. So it was a really nice place to be as somebody who leads a research team, you know, to be able to have visibility in conversations with customers, to be able to see new problems that were starting to present themselves. Um, you know, it was very interesting. Like it's, and it's a little bit different than, than my background. I've, you know, been part of uh, the Black Hat Review Board for over a decade and I lead the AI machine learning and data science track. So that is, uh, there are some unique intersections there between, you know, web three and, and, you know, machine learning that people are trying to put together. Um, so I, I think what's important for security professionals to understand is that um, there seems to be a lot of hatred around this space. Um, but I think, you know, being a bit more uh, neutral, like I am very technology neutral. You have a hard time, you know, trying to point out a technology that I hate. I, I feel like as security professionals, we should be, you know, enabling innovation instead of standing in the way and telling people they shouldn't be doing things. It's a really good point. Nice fresh approach. <laughs> I like yeah. that. Um, I, I, I love that. And uh, you, you kind of talked about an intersection of all different elements that I think you sprinkle into your presenting your background, presenting the new company you start working with, and then even the artificial intelligence. So for people out there, they're more on the business line than in the security professional uh, line, but how would you define uh, the Web3 and what is the biggest, let's say, difference or why should make things better? Sure. And to even make things more confusing, apparently there's a Web5 now. I don't, I don't, I don't know. So they skipped four. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, 
<laughs> Let's not go there yet. <laughs> so that's very prime, prime numbers only. What's going on? Um, yeah. So the the Web three is is uh, you know being touted as the next version of the internet where everybody owns their own data and you know it kind of opens up new worlds. It's powered by blockchain technology and you know we kind of have this utopian vision of you know, the way the, the world works. Um, you know, there are lots of promises being touted in the Web3 space. I mean, we've yet to to realize some of those. Um, I think there are some fundamental hurdles to overcome for average users to be able to use the technology. I mean, we've we've created environments in the past that allow users to recover from a failure. So if your credit card gets stolen, you can call somebody and they reverse the charges. You know, if you forget your password, you can call somebody and your password gets reset. But in this space, if you get scammed um, and you lose all your money, you don't really have a recourse. Like you, you can't get your money back. And in the space, the community basically says, well, that's terrible, but it's, you know, it's just how the system works. So I think people would be... Um, you know, people aren't really tolerant of that currently. And I think that that's an active area where there's some investments being made because, you know, this doesn't work without onboarding a lot of people. Nobody wants to be on the social network with five people. People want to be on the social network with a billion people. You know, people don't want to shop at a store with only three things. They want to shop at a store with thousands of things. I mean, these are things that we know from the past. And in order to kind of open the open open these projects up to a larger audience, you know, there are some technical challenges um, to to be addressed. Um, and I think this is a good a good. Um, so people may look at this and hear about the scams and the millions and millions and millions of dollars being you know stolen and wonder why anybody would want to use this. Um, I think what we what we tend to forget is that what we're really seeing are a series of technology experiments playing out in public. I mean, that is not something we're used to seeing. Usually if you're ideating a new piece of intellectual property, you kind of have a stealth mode, you onboard a small amount of users, you get feedback, you do iteration, uh, and then you plan for like a formal launch. Um, literally, you can go from participating at a hackathon to being pushed into production. And now you're, left defending yourself against a nation state because, you know, nation states have gotten into the game and are, you know, going to attack, you know, your systems or your, I should, shouldn't say your systems, although that could be the case. We saw that with the Ronin validators um, attack, but, you know, uh, they're going to attack your project. And since everything is wide open, it's right out there in front of everybody. Um, you know, it's obviously a, a ripe, uh, ripe target. Uh, for people to go after. So I, I have a gazillion technical questions that I'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> hold on for the moment, but um, let's stick with the line of business and what, sure. What changes for an organization that says, I want to be part of this. Why, why would they want to be part of it? What changes for them? Do they have to build their applications differently? Does the user experience change for them, for their customers? Is it simply they just want to offer NFTs or accept cryptocurrency? What, what, what's in it for a business to be part of Web3? 
Sure. So I think the biggest thing that's in it for business is, you know, a monetary aspect. I mean, businesses go where the people are and businesses, you know, they they tend to modify their business according to user demand. So it could be could be as simple as you sell a bunch of products and a bunch of your users want to be able to buy your products with a particular cryptocurrency of their choice. And that's a pretty simple thing to do. Um, you know, sometimes, I mean, like we at Kedelsky Security, we allow people, some of these projects to pay in certain cryptocurrencies instead of fiat. So it's possible to do that through enablement. I think what um, what really changes on the development side of the house, like say you wanted to, to re-architect something like a, a metaverse project that was on a, a Web3 platform. What really changes is the fact that you are immediately entering a high-risk environment. So you need to be sure that the code you're, you're pushing into production doesn't have um, you know, any issues with it that would allow an attacker to kind of you know, drain your, your pool of funds. Um, there, there's no risk mitigation to losing all your money. Web3 developers, you know, don't have the luxury most times anyway of failing gracefully. Um, attacks can happen quickly and funds get drained very fast if you don't have additional protections in place and you haven't ideated through the threats that could happen to your application. So I would say that this, when, a, when a company is thinking about entering a Web3 space, they need to, to understand that the stakes can get significantly higher very quickly. So is it, I love and I hate <laughs> the fuck did you say it's an experiment, but <laughs> nevertheless, you know, here, play with it and play with your money. I mean, even cryptocurrency can be kind of scary, as, as you mentioned here. Uh, yeah. There are some people that people with a lot of uh, followers on Twitter and social media, they are saying that it's really just a marketing hype and... You know, it's nothing really special. It's just the evolution, at least that's what I heard of, the natural evolution of the web too. What, what's your take on that? And do you bring that into the presentation? Sure. Like, uh, I feel like some of these get into like, um, you know, philosophical aspects about where we should be going in with the technology and in society. I, you know, uh, I'm a security professional. Um, I, I certainly have opinions about things. And I, I see people, and even myself sometimes, make fun of uh, NFTs. Um, but I, uh, I jest about certain aspects. But one, once again, I mean, these are technology experiments. People are trying new things. And that's typically good um, to have that sort of innovation happening. Um, and, and you usually find that innovation is iterative. So maybe the first iteration is one thing, and then it turns out to be something else. And the reason that security professionals shouldn't sit on the sidelines for these topics is because technology is an odd way of snapping into place. And it kind of puts us behind. Like I remember in the early days of the cloud, I, I would go to a security conference, people would be walking around with, there is no cloud, just someone else's computer shirts mm, on. People yeah. would talk about, oh, I'd never put my data in the cloud. And those people today are most likely cloud security professionals. So, right. you know, we sometimes tend to be, you know, behind the curve on this stuff. So I think a, a bit more, you know, neutrality. As far as 
you know, the experiments and, and how it, you know, how it's going to affect, you know, society as a general, we, we do have some issues in the web two space. I mean, we use a lot of free software um, and free doesn't always mean free. So we have situations in which we're giving up aspects of our privacy in order to take advantage of um, certain pieces of functionality. The promise of web three is that that goes away. Um, now, there, there are some monetization aspects of Web3. So uh, as much as I would love it, if people had to pay a fee every single time they posted to Twitter, it would really reduce a lot of the noise, make you be much more thoughtful about the opinions that you wanted to express and put out there. Um, I, I don't think that that's a viable alternative anyway. So I think the future is going to be um, kind of multidimensional. We're going to have, you know, potentially multiple meta versus, you know, we'll have the, you know, the, the the free one that meta puts out and a lot of people are part of but we may end up with small pockets of other ones that are more focused on certain communities like maybe you have the sci-fi metaverse that's on you know a particular cryptocurrency or or fun or on a particular blockchain i should say um so you could end up with certain pockets of of uh solutions and and that does really align with what people want. Like, if you want to do that, then then you have an opportunity to be involved in that community. So, what as you're describing this, I'm trying to trying to understand is, is this? We touched on it a little earlier. Is this a replacement to Web two, or do you see this kind of attaching itself to things that already exist? Because I, I like the idea that. Tremendously fast innovation, tremendously fast failure, hopefully tremendously fast learning, right, to, to progress this stuff. Um, but if that's all being done at, at the same time that it's replacing something that's known and solid and trust, or at least understood right, to some degree, uh, we, we kind of put our whole society at risk there. So how, do, how does this play out in your mind? Sure. I, we're definitely headed for multiple things. It's, it's not a replacement for, for web two. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a futurist, uh, but I can tell you that that's, you know, um, probably not going to happen. And, and the reason being is because if you think about the architecture of a web three application today, web three application today, um, there's some significant drawbacks. I mean, if you think about three things that developers care about, you know, speed, scale, and data, those are three things that that blockchain technologies are very bad at. Like you, you can't store massive amounts of data on a blockchain. It's just not realistic. First of all, it could get very expensive, and so so people find ways around that. So instead of storing data on a blockchain, they store a reference, and then they use something like IPFS. Um, same thing with scaling. So we we end up seeing like um, people, you know, the the core chain isn't fast enough, so they build. Uh, their own chain that runs on top of another of another chain to add you know more performance. People want to use their Ethereum on Solana, so they build you know cross chain bridges that allow you to use, for example, platforms. And the interesting aspect here is that although core blockchains have been fairly resilient, uh, where you really see the devastating attacks is quite often on these applications that run on top of the chain and provide some of this extended features and functionality. So um, it's just something to consider um, in your design and development process. So I think the, the future is definitely headed for you know, multiple technologies. It's not gonna be a drop-in replacement 
I mean, even today, you know, there's a lot of traditional Web 2.0 components in a Web 3 application. So I feel like knowing what your talk is going to be about, I feel like you already touch a lot of different points about it. But to tease a little bit more so that we can tell people, hey, go, go listen to Nathan. Who do you expect to participate to your talk? Uh, maybe get the most out of it? And without giving away the, <laughs> the end of the movie, um, what are the things that you're going to focus on? I understand is learning from the past. And again, I feel like you already dropped a few pointers there. But can you, can you tease us more about the, the talk? Sure. It, well, being a, uh, you know, being a security conference, I expect it to be made up of mostly security professionals and maybe some developers there who are, who are looking. What, what I really hope uh, packs the room out are a bunch of haters who don't really care about the technology. That would be great. <laughs> um, I know that most people probably wouldn't want that because, but I, I feel like, you know, I'm trying to make the point that we should be more neutral and I'm trying to um, basically what, my, what I'm going to be covering is how we got here. Like why, what are the contributing factors to what we're seeing today? Um, you know, what role do security professionals actually play in the larger uh, grand scheme of things? And what are some things that we could be doing today to start reducing the risk? I mean, you know, um, overall that's, uh, you know, mostly the theme. I mean, I want people to realize that the, the, these projects aren't enterprises. They're not the traditional, you know, security enterprise we think of. Like you don't go talk to the CISO of a particular project. It could just be two or three people who got VC funding, um, took a boot camp, uh, learned how to program, and now they're pushing code into production at millions of dollars. Um, you know, so, it's important you understand where they're coming from. It's also important you understand their mission. Because um, if you have a misalignment with what they're trying to do and what you're telling them to do, security always loses that conversation. We know this from the past, from traditional software development. So we have to find unique ways to, um, to work with them. The other interesting thing is we haven't found all of the vulnerabilities in the Web3 space, which I think is kind of cool. It leaves the door open one, for one a lot left, of extra research. Yeah, one lab, one more to find, and once we find that one, we'll be we'll be done. Because um, what we're what we're seeing in the space is a lot of exploitation of like financial um, protocols. So a team will come up with a new protocol, they'll implement it, and then not understand how it can be gamed. Um, so uh, there's a there's there's a fair amount of new things. There, there's a delta between traditional application security and the Web3 space, but it's not a monumental delta. Like there's a lot of traditional security knowledge that we can modify and apply to the space as long as security professionals start to um, understand, you know, what different DeFi applications are, you know, what a cross-chain bridge is and how it works, how, what is an automated market maker, you know, what is, you know, um, uh, an Oracle provider and how, how does consuming an Oracle in your application potentially lead to problems? I mean, these are, these are different things that are kind of new and, um, and, you know, you kind of have to understand in order to provide security guidance around that. 
lot to absorb there. And I, I just think, I mean, we often joke that security is the department of no within an enterprise. And uh, what it sounds like is security is trying to be the department of no for society. <laughs> That's not going not gonna to fly, right? Because this stuff's going to happen regardless, right? People are going to tr- yeah, I mean- build it. People are going to try it. Some's going to work. Some's not. I've never got the the no thing. I think it feels good to tell people no, but in the end, people do it anyway. Like even today, you still have people who are like, no, we're not, we don't have any cloud resources. And then you talk to a dev team and it's like, no, we have cloud resources all over the place. Okay. So I, I think there's a fundamental disconnect here. I, I think security is changing whether security professionals change or not. Like we are entering a future of advanced customization, which means that security really needs to adapt to these new challenges. So every time, you know, new emerging technologies come along, every time a new, you know, method comes along, like we need to learn and adapt. So if we keep doing the same things over and over again, we are going to find that the steps we're taking are less relevant. So that's why I think a new challenge, you know, new technologies are a great way of exercising flexibility and learning how to how to cover the gap between your current knowledge and what you need to know to to enter a new technology. And I don't know if you're hoping to, in addition to the understanding of this space and the role security plays in, are you, I don't know if your goal is to also to make a lesson <laughs> for us or get us to think differently. Cause it sounds like, it sounds like as a security professional, we need to kind of take a step back and think about where things are headed, our role in helping to let it go there safely versus trying to apply the things we've done for the last 30 years to the new world that uh, that's upon us. Yeah. I would hope that, that that's part of the outcome. Um, you know, because this isn't, I mean, the technology may be new, but the problems aren't new. So I, I have this thing that I call the emerging technology paradigm. Like every single time a new technology comes along, it thinks it's the exception. So it's like, oh, no, no, everything that came before isn't applicable. Uh, this is a brand new thing. We need all new things. And then you look at it and you're like, well, I mean, there's definitely new stuff here that changes, but some of this old stuff still works. Like, you know, you may say you're, you know, a huge web three organization and everything has changed, but you still get fished, you know, user security is still technically, you know, uh, not clicking on things and, you know, keeping secrets, you know, things that we know users aren't great at doing. So there's a lot of, you know, traditional things there. Um, And security professionals conversely want to take everything that they've learned and, and apply it back to the technology. And there's just, you know, it's just about covering, you know, gaps between, Things, things we've learned, lessons we've learned in the past and applying it to, to a new space. Because emerging technologies in general, you know, are you're trading a set of known issues and complexities for a set of unknown issues and complexities. That's why emerging technologies, you know, typically surprise us. Like, you know, if you don't know what a flash loan is and then all of a sudden somebody uses one to exploit your, you know, your DeFi project, you know, that's something new, but once you've seen it, you're like, okay, now I know um, what that looks like and I know how to be more prepared for those in the future. So, you know, we're still learning the, 
you know, the, the side of the house that's like, hey, you know, these are the unknown issues and complexities we're kind of dealing with. Yeah, I love this because actually these things are very sociological and psychological and philosophical. So, I, I, I mean, you're telling this story. I'm like, yeah, learning from the past. Hmm, yeah, we're not that good at it <laughs> as humans, but hey, yeah, maybe. And and building on top of what we already have. I mean, I think this is the, the lesson. Again, it's like marketing is going to tell you that there is this new shiny bright thing that it's going to resolve all the problem. Forget about everything. That's it. And that then you humans will teach you that, yeah, you can work on the door, but if you leave the, the window open, <laughs> what the hell is the point, right? So... I love how you're connecting this and, and of course, connecting the past. Definitely uh, intrigued by uh, by listening and, and, and watching your presentation. Sean, have you learned something from the past? Yeah, I'm, I'm always, always uh, learning, and uh, today is no different. And I, I want to thank Nathan for helping with that for sure. Uh, and I'm, I'm definitely intrigued to... Uh, to be part of this session, hopefully get to uh, to listen and hear some of the hate. No, hear, hear some of the conversations <laughs> that yes, uh, I'm, come. I'm inviting people to throw stuff at me or uh, something <laughs> like that. It's always great. That's right. That's right. I hope that's not the case. <laughs> no, I, I think a, a lively conversation will ensue. None, uh, no question about that. The, the session is from Hackathon to Hacked Web3 Security Journey. Nathan Hamill from... Uh, Kudelski is leading this at 1120 local time on the 11th of August. That's the Thursday at Black Hat. So hopefully you'll join Nathan there and uh, some of your, uh, your colleagues and peers and, and uh, others in the group. And for those listening, we'll link to that session uh, so you can get access there and uh, register for it. And of course, if there's anything else that Nathan wants to share, uh, resources that uh, would be helpful for people interested in this topic, uh, we'll, we'll include those in the link uh, show notes as well. So thanks, Nathan. Uh, Marco. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it was NFT. a pleasure having you. And uh, learn a lot, thought a lot. And as we always say, if we make people think, we're succeeding. We don't necessarily have answers but what we do have it's a lot of other chats on the road coming up speaking with the keynotes presenters and a lot of action during the las vegas uh, week as well with the uh, live streaming and connecting with uh, with both defcon and black hat so stay tuned and uh We'll see you somewhere from somewhere. <laughs> somewhere on the road somewhere. With, with some technology that probably we shouldn't trust anyway. Whatever. Right. We do it anyway. Right on. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Nathan. Thank you. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at www.pentera.io. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk 
and remediation guidance, virtually false positive free. Learn more at edgescan.com. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our on-location conversation. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.